Now, in terms of complications, the number one complication of insulin is hypoglycemia. Now, in terms of hypoglycemia, we are going to mean that for under 50. Now, where was normal? What was the lower end of normal? 70. So there's a space between 70 and 50, right? Now, although the patient's blood sugar is less than normal, it's not really considered hypoglycemia until you reach 50. Now, the symptoms of hypoglycemia. The first symptoms have nothing to do with low blood sugar itself. Instead, they have something to do with epinephrine. So, what are the side effects of getting epinephrine? Rapid heartbeat. What else? Shakiness, tremor. What else? Okay, increased respiration, increased blood pressure. What else? Irritability. You just want to tear someone's head off. So you can get these symptoms before blood sugar actually goes down to even 70. If your blood sugar is used to being around 95 and it drops down to 80, guess what you can get? All of those symptoms. Now, these symptoms are blunted by beta blockers. So if your patient is on insulin and is also on a beta blocker, guess what you get to tell them? You are not going to have these symptoms. You're going to skip directly to these symptoms, which is headache, confusion, drowsiness, fatigue, convulsions, coma, and death. Okay, well, these come afterwards. <laughs> so we, we start out with well, we start out with the sympathetic ones. Shakiness, tremor, can't think straight. Then it moves to headache, confusion, drowsiness, fatigue. And then you just want to curl up and go to sleep. You start having seizures and then you die. Unless... No, beta blockers skip this part. Unless we fix it somehow. All right, so to fix it, how do we want to fix it? What's the preferred way to fix it? No, if you give them insulin, you're just going to make it worse. Okay, the preferred way is before they go unconscious, give them some kind of something by their mouth. So you can give them juice, Coke, sugar water, bread. Typically, we're going to want something that is liquid. Why? It'll absorb faster because it's already in solution form. Orange juice seems to be like the standard in a lot of places. Sometimes they'll take sugar and put it in the orange juice and then make them drink it. And it's like... Now, how long does just straight sugar last? Not very long. So typically what we want to do is we want to give them something immediate and then we also want to give them something that's a little more complex with some fiber to last them a couple hours. So you start off with this, the short acting, which is going to be just straight up sugar. And then you give them something with fiber to last them a bit longer. Now, something called pseudohypoglycemia. Pseudohypoglycemia is when a person's blood sugar drops just a little bit, but is still in the normal range but they get all of these top symptoms, the tachycardia, palpitations, sweating, nervousness, and irritability. So they're like, oh my gosh, I've got a little blood sugar, I've got to eat something. 
But if you actually take their blood sugar, guess what? Normal. Completely normal. More common in women, especially um, young, underweight women. What? It's called pseudo-hypoglycemia. It's not in their head. It's in their body being caused by epinephrine. So it's not in their head. It's, it's real symptoms. I mean, their heart rate really is going fast. But it's not their glucose. It's the epinephrine response. Yes. Right, so if you've got a diabetic patient who's normally at 200 and they come down to 150, they may feel all of those ones up there, even though their blood sugar is still high. How would you know the difference? You take their, you take their blood sugar. Right. It could be anywhere. All I'm telling you is that those, these epinephrine symptoms do not correlate to actual blood sugar. What correlates to the actual blood sugar are these CNS symptoms. Question, Angela? For treating pseudo-hypoglycemia, you can treat it with beta blockers. The problem is that because it tends to happen in young, underweight women, they often have very low blood pressures to begin with. All right, let's move along off that subject. Now, we already did this first part, orange juice, glucose tablet, honey, non-diet drink, etc. You can also give glucagon. Now, what, how does glucagon work? Causes what cells? No, alpha cells release glucagon, but what does glucagon do? Tells your liver to secrete glucose by gluconeogenesis and breaking down gly glycogen. Now, let me ask you this question. What is glycogen? It's a short-term storage form of short... <laughs> of glucose. How long does that storage form last? Typically about two to three hours. If you're really intensely needing that, like running a marathon, how long does it take more or less before it's completely gone? It's about 22 miles, which takes about how long? About two and a half to three hours. So if the reason... so. If a person does not have any glycogen stores because they have not eaten, guess what glucagon will not do? It won't work. So glucagon, you're not going to give it unless the patient had a meal within the last three to four hours. Now, D50W. If the person is unconscious, this is your go-to drug right here. What does the D stand for? Dextrose. What does the 50 stand for? 50% in water. So you can literally stick this in a person's vein, start to, and the patient will magically wake up. Now, this is a very short-term solution. As soon as they come back, guess what you want them to do? Eat something. 
All right, so the key things in educating the patient. Patient needs to be aware that they could become hypoglycemic and they need to take appropriate precautions. Eat if they take it. Don't take it if they're not eating. With Lispro, when do they need to take it? As they start eating, not before. Because, you know, if they go, well, I'm going to, even at home, all right, I'm going to take my drug, now I'm going to go eat. And they start to pour the cereal bowl and the doorbell rings and it's the FedEx person, they go to get the doorbell and the next thing you know, they get distracted and the next thing you know, they're on the floor unconscious. It can happen. So, prepare. Always, they should always have something available to use as a treatment. That's typically going to be some kind of like glucose tablet. Monitor their blood sugar appropriately and have a medic alert bracelet. So if we find them unconscious, Annie, Annie, are you okay? Well, he's breathing and their heart's beating. They must be sleeping. Oh, look, they've got a medic alert. And it says they're diabetic. Let's check their blood sugar. All right, other adverse other adverse effects. Changes in subcutaneous fat deposits in the area of injection. Um, as you give injections to the same site over and over, it can cause lipoatrophy or lipohypertrophy. So the fat layer can sink in or it can get really big. Allergic reactions with the pig, with the pig type, the porcine, or with NPH. And bovine also, but not, as, not in this country anymore. Drug interactions, other hypoglycemic agents. Let's talk about alcohol for a moment. Now, alcohol in and of itself lowers blood sugar, but alcohol likes to keep company with <laughs> with orange juice, <laughs> with sugar, <laughs> screwdrivers, <laughs> rum and coke, Long Island iced tea, yeah, daiquiris, margaritas, whatever it is. Alcohol likes to keep company with carbohydrates, even wine. So as a result, most alcoholics are actually going to have high blood sugar rather than low blood sugar, even though alcohol itself lowers blood sugar. Um, agents that raise blood sugar, so if a patient gets on a steroid, which will raise blood sugar, they may need more insulin. And then beta blockers block the effect of hypoglycemia. Okay, we have 10 minutes to do the rest of this stuff. No, I'm not kidding, but we'll be okay. All right. Now, this should look kind of familiar. We've already talked about this somewhat. In terms of oral drugs that can be used to treat diabetes, we have several basic types. The first ones are called secretagogues. They make the, the pancreas secrete more insulin. There are two or two classes that, that do that. Yeah, like squeezing water out of a sponge. That's, we're going to squeeze the pancreas. So sulfonylureas and metaglinides are the two drug classes you're going to need to remember there. Liver modifiers that inhibit the effects of glucagon in the liver there's one class called a biguanide. You don't really need to remember that term because there's only one drug that we use, and that's metformin. Then we have insulin sensitizers. 
These are the thiazolidinidazides. Or they all end with glitazone, the glitazones. And then we have drugs that inhibit carb absorption. We talked about them very briefly, the alpha-glucosidase inhibitors. They prevent the breakdown of complex sugars into simple sugars. If they can't, uh, if they can't break it down into simple sugars, your body cannot absorb them. And why do we say AKA pass the Beano? Because those undigested sugars make their way through the intestine until they are eaten by bacteria who burp out carbon dioxide gas and make you... Excuse me. Got to go take a constitutional. All right. They have to go fart. <laughs> okay. So the first class is called sulfonylureas. Now, with that name, what do you think they have as part of their structure? Sulfa. So what other drugs were sulfa-type drugs? Sulfonamides. So if a patient is allergic to either one, they're probably allergic to the other one as well. So patients who are allergic to sulfonamides should not take sulfonylureas and vice versa. Now, um, there's two generations, first generation and second generation. Second generation drugs last longer and you don't have to take as much dose. So we're talking like hundreds of milligrams versus thousands of milligrams. Or sorry, like, like two to 40 versus hundreds to thousands. You're hardly ever gonna see a first generation anymore because they're just not used very commonly. Now, the way they work is they stimulate beta cells to secrete insulin. They will not work if the patient does not have a working pancreas. So they, don't, they never work in type 1 diabetes, and they will eventually stop working in late type 2. Now, what does this say, therapeutic use? Adjunct to lifestyle modification. Diabetes is a disease there's no magic bullet for, type 2 diabetes. No magic bullet. Drugs help, but you have to make the lifestyle modifications. What are the three major ones? Exercise, diet, and weight loss. All right. It's the readily absorbed PO. They are uh, metabolized in the liver. And the duration ranges from six hours to three days. Adverse effects. They do cause hypoglycemia, but it's usually mild, um, but is occasionally fatal, especially if the patient's on other drugs that lower blood sugar. Um, caution in patients who have liver dysfunction and educate the patient on signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. Now, adverse effects, weight gain. Now, do you think that's good or bad? Why? Because these patients tend to be obese in the first place, so we're making the disease worse. Does that sound like a good idea? No. no. But these are often the first drugs we start a patient on. Why? Because they're the oldest drugs we have, and physicians are the most familiar with them. But we're beginning to use these later in the disease because we understand now that this is not a good thing. Um, 
patients who are pregnant or who are lactating, don't give them these, well, if they're breastfeeding, don't give them these drugs. Um, now, the other thing that we've also shown is that if you treat patients with sulfonylureas first until they fail, their chances of having a heart attack go up than if you treat them with something else to start with. Um, interactions, alcohol, other hypoglycemics, and beta blockers. Is there a question there, Kara? Um, I was wondering why they Possibly. All right, so these top drugs, you don't need to remember them. What you do need to remember is glipizide, gliburide, and glimepiride. You need, you need to recognize either these names or these names as sulfonylureas. So on the test, I will not say, should this patient be treated with a sulfonylurea or this patient is on a sulfonylurea, the question will be, your patient is on Glipizide, which is actually the drug you need to know for the must-know drug list, so this is probably the one that will appear on your uh, test. So your patient is on glipizide, and then what should you educate them on for side effects? And you'll need to know that glipizide is a sulfonylurea. Soon. It's, it's actually week nine. Now, metaglinides. These are the other class of secretagogues. They're newer and they're shorter acting. So um, they only last for two to four hours. So these look more like your normal insulin production. Um, they come on within zero to 30 minutes, which means your patient has to eat within half an hour of taking these drugs. There's fewer side effects and they're used for postprandial glucose control as opposed to What's FPG? Uh, What's the F? Fasting. What's the P stand for? Postprandial. What does postprandial mean? After eating. So they will not work in patients who do not have working beta cells. The two drugs are Prandin and Starlix. These drugs are not on the must-know drug list, so after this course, you can probably forget them until you actually have patients who have them. What do we use these for? Postprandial glucose. So basically lowers the blood sugar after you eat a meal. All right, metformin. It's the only biguanide, so you can pretty much don't need to remember the class. What you do need to remember is it decreases gluconeogenesis and enhances glucose uptake by muscle cells. So you can kind of think of it as a insulin sensitizer plus a glucagon inhibitor. Now, metformin, also known as glucophage, is the number one diabetes drug you're probably gonna see in the hospital. It does not cause hypoglycemia. Um, XR you take twice a day usually versus the regular you take three times a day. Now, yeah, let's talk a little bit about it. Um, what we've seen with, with uh, Netformin 
is that it does not cause hypoglycemia. It can be effectively used in patients who also need insulin because it, lower, it increases or decreases the need for extra insulin. It increases sensitivity. Um, you can also use it in combination with the TZDs, which also enhance insulin sensitivity to work even better. And what we found is that younger patients who are at risk for diabetes, it can actually decrease their risk of diabetes, but not as well as exercise and diet. So let's talk about the adverse effects. Number one adverse effect, decreased appetite. Do you think that's a good thing for our patients with type 2 diabetes? Yeah, it's probably a good thing. So in addition to treating the disease, it can also help treat the disease process, the cause of the disease, which would be obesity. Also causes nausea and diarrhea. If you have nausea, you may not feel like eating. Now, here's the things you need to remember. Never, ever, ever give this to patients with renal insufficiency or patients who are Well, it doesn't say it on here, does it? Oh, heart failure. Now, the reason for this is metformin causes lactic acidosis increases, which are made worse by heart failure and kidney failure. So never give them to patients with heart failure or kidney failure. Um, Yeah, you're also not supposed to give them the patients liver disease, severe infections, and you're supposed to educate the patients on the symptoms of these things, which are going to be hyperventilation, what's myalgia, muscle aches, malaise, just feel bad, yeah, just feel bad, and unusual somnolence. All right. Um, immediate release you use twice a day to three times a day. Extended release you typically take at night because that's when your body produces new, new um, sugar from your liver. It's also available in several different combinations, which you don't need to know the names of those, and let's go home now.